Hello and welcome to the spring break episode of the world famous Driving You Crazy podcast. I am the sick traffic anchor for Denver 7 News, Jason Luber. I am the spry pedestrian advocate, Joseph Peters. What's up, Jason? Unfortunately, I have a little bit of a uh, cold that I've had for a week now, and it's uh, it's driving me crazy. There you go. Uh, a lot of pressure in the head, and it's uh, now moving to my throat, my lungs, and I, I, I think better conditions are ahead. Like like with the blizzard, the storm, the what is it, the bomb blizzard that we have going on right now. The bomb, cyclone. Bomb cyclone. There you go. Yes, sir. So, uh, yeah, it's blizzard conditions out here in Denver right now. Yes, it is. My wife has the day off. She could not be more excited. Only one school district, I believe, chose not to cancel class. Godspeed to them. I hope they make it. Well, it's about. I, I told the teachers yesterday when I went to go pick up my kids, I said, uh, if school is not canceled, I will be here by noon, 1 o'clock to pick them up. Because that's when it's going to really get bad. And so uh, you, you can do what you want, but I'm picking up my kids as a concerned father. Yes, sir. So we're in spring break season. From now until the first part of April, kids from all over the country are going to be traveling to you know, Florida and Texas and Mexico to enjoy some sun, some fun, consuming way too many adult beverages. We have a story about that coming up at the end of the show here. Can't wait. Uh, I spent a couple of spring breaks in Daytona Beach. They were good times. Good times. I think I still can smell that smell uh, in the hotel elevator. Oh. It was oh. hot, spilled beer, pee, sweat, all all the all together mixed up. You walk on the floor of the elevator and you just stick to it and you hear the your shoes go every time you oh, it was just gross. God, that sounds amazing. I mean, looking back at it now, I feel pretty bad for all the hotel cleaning staff. That had to deal with dumb spring break kids like myself. Listen, if you work at a Daytona Beach hotel and you're not expecting the spring breakers and you're not prepared for what spring break cleanup is going to look like and you're not a little bit excited for it, what are yeah. you doing? You're in the wrong business, folks. I'm glad there weren't cell phone cameras around back then. Me too. Yes. Because <laughs> uh, it's you know harder and harder to keep secrets around with social media. Correct. So we have a huge show today. Uh, we're going to speak in just a minute to uh, Sarah Nelson. Sarah is the president of the Association of Flight Attendants, CWA, and we'll speak with her about the negotiations, how they're going between uh, them and Frontier Airlines. Um, nobody wants to see a strike. But a strike is a possibility here, and it could start probably this summer and obviously have ripple effects for summer travel throughout the country. The flight attendants have already voted to strike, but they have to wait for an impasse to be officially declared and then wait 30 days after the mediator says it's an impasse, and then they could stop working. So we we wouldn't see it this week or next week, maybe sometime this spring, summer, something like that. We'll ask Sarah about it. Uh, we'll ask her about the negotiations, and uh, we, we'll talk to her about the tipping policy. I still had a couple of questions about the tipping policy. Yeah, I, I mean, I think we're going to have tipping qu- or questions about the tipping policy, no matter how many good answers she's able to give us, because it's such a questionable policy in <laughs> it and of is. itself. Uh, we also uh, will talk to her about um, uh, what they have planned, because I think they're going to come out here next week and talk to her about all of that in just a bit. But first, the ridiculous story of the day, Joseph. Uh, and I'm taking you to Glynn County, Georgia. Basically, it's Brunswick there in the uh, southeast part of the state. Police officer Kevin Yarborough, who is also recognized in Georgia as an expert in impaired driving, was arrested for, yeah, a DUI. <sighs> How is he an expert in impaired driving? Apparently, he is a um, he was named the state of Georgia drug recognition expert of the year. 
by the Governor's Office of Highway Safety and by Mothers Against Drunk Driving in Georgia. Why, why is that an award? I don't, I, don't, I don't understand. And get this, he was actually arrested in the middle of the afternoon by a state patrol trooper after the trooper said he spotted Yarborough swerving while driving. He registered a .116, <laughs> which is well above the .08 uh, DUI level. Uh, the trooper said Yarborough also performed poorly in some of the field sobriety exercises. Maybe he was just doing some field research. I mean, that's the only way to describe it, right? How else are you going to catch an impaired driver than by becoming the impaired driver? Well, I guess so. Maybe maybe he was. It's kind of like an actor was getting into their role. He was getting into the role of a drunk driver, so maybe he can better handle dealing with drunk drivers. Right, and, and we'll see if he gets the award again next year. Who knows? <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe this research get, will pay off. Maybe he'll get the award for the drunkest uh, drunk driver expert yeah. in Georgia. Totes. Something like that. Well, anyway, from... Uh, from driving to flying, and as spring break is here, many of us will be traveling not only now, but we're also making plans to travel this summer. Now, the flight attendants for Frontier Airlines say they are ready to strike. Members of the Association of Flight Attendants Union voted 99% to authorize a strike, and should the contract negotiations with the airline stall this week to the point where federal authorities declare an impasse. Now, a strike could have major impacts to travelers not only here in Denver, but across the country where Frontier flies. Now, joining us now on the show is Sarah Nelson. She's the president of the Association of Flight Attendants, CWA, to talk about the looming strike and some of the other issues in the air for the flight attendants who work with Frontier Airlines. Sarah, welcome, and thank you for joining us here on the Driving You Crazy podcast. Thank you so much. So, Sarah, let's start with the negotiations, how they're going, and what is the latest right now? Yeah. So we are in federal mediation and we're in negotiations right now. Um, We're doing some hard bargaining right now to try to drive to a deal this week. And we're hopeful that we can get that done. Frontier is still operating off of bankruptcy wages for the flight attendants. They are in some cases 20 and 30 percent below their counterparts across the industry um, in other parts of the wage scale even more. They also have some of the worst work rules and are really beholden to the company because those work rules are are so terrible. And Frontier has really been profiting off of their backs uh, for way too long. This has been two years of negotiations. They've already uh, agreed to a contract with the pilots. The Frontier flight attendants have been out there picketing, raising this issue, and they took their strike vote, a 99% strike vote. So the flight attendants are ready to go. They don't have much to lose here. Many of them are making poverty wages, and we're saying enough is enough. We better get to a deal this week, and if we don't, we are all coming to Denver next week. Our entire union will have a major protest on the 20th at the Civic Center there in Denver, and we're calling on the rest of the labor movement to join us, but we will be turning up the heat. And we use our chaos uh, campaign. Chaos is create havoc around our system, and it is a unique strike threat from the Association of Flight Attendants that if we get to that impasse and we get to that strike deadline, we do not announce where these strikes happen. So they can happen anywhere at any time. It can be a single flight, a full city, Uh, No one knows. And that is what Frontier is facing with the full support of the flight attendants if they don't get serious at the table. Now, you mentioned that Frontier is still operating under bankruptcy rules. So how does that play into these negotiations? Well, they've been out of bankruptcy for a long time and they've been making money hand over fist. And 
we are simply asking for what's fair here. This is they they have been uh, competing against direct competitors who pay way more, who provide way better benefits and work rules, and uh, we're saying we need what's fair here for the frontier flight attendants, and they should not be profiting off of the tickets that passengers are paying, so that frontier flight attendants are having to work extra hours, way overtime, just to try to make their rent, to try to cover all of their bills, and they're coming, they're having to come to work very tired and stressed out because of these situations and that's the last thing you want for aviation's first responders who are managing your flight so why if the if if the working conditions are so bad for the flight attendants right now why are they continuing to work why don't they try to find another job not only with another airline or just another job in general i know in colorado at least that the unemployment rate here is very low Well, people like to say, why don't you go try to find another job? This is their chosen career. These flight attendants love doing what they do. They take a lot of pride in it. And they know that they make a difference on those planes every single day for the passengers that they fly with them. In the airline industry also, you gain seniority as you move along. And it's very difficult to give that seniority up and go to another airline. You're going down to the bottom of the uh, scale. You're going down to the bottom of the bidding process to determine what your uh, flight schedule is going to be. They are really fighting for uh, what they are due for all that they have given to Frontier. They've got a lot invested here in this airline and their sacrifices and their work daily. And they're simply saying, we want to stay here. We want to work at Frontier. We love our chosen career and we want Frontier to succeed. But we want to take part in that success, too. So they're totally committed to staying and making this work and getting what they're due. Well, and just to sort of provide some context for us, can you give us an idea of the makeup of Frontier's flight attendants? I understand that obviously you get a little bit of everything, but are we looking at predominantly people who are later on in their career? Or is this a company that has a lot of people who stick around for maybe three years as an entry level gig and then move on to another airline? No, these are at Frontier. This is an airline where people have a lot of pride that the uh, uh, Indigo Partners that bought Frontier has taken it to a low cost model. But you have people who have been at Frontier for 20, 25 years here and have put in a lot of effort, uh, seen a lot of changes at Frontier. Uh, shouldered those sacrifices through the bankruptcy. And they're saying, you know, we don't want to quit on what we've already invested here. We just want to get what we are due. And so there is actually a a very broad range of seniorities at Frontier, but up to and including people with 20, 25 years of uh, experience and um, devotion to Frontier. We're speaking with Sarah Nelson, the president of the Association of Flight Attendants, CWA, about the looming strike with Frontier Airlines and the flight attendants. Sarah, since the negotiations are being overseen by the National Mediation Board, a strike could only legally occur if the board declares that the negotiations are deadlocked, and then there'd have to be that 30-day mandatory cooling-off period. When do you see a strike starting if negotiations don't go as planned And how prepared are you uh, for it to last uh, a couple of days, a couple of weeks, a couple of months? Well, look, I think that Frontier is going to take this seriously, and I'm I'm uh, somewhat optimistic that we can reach a deal this week. Um, I think they understand how important it is that they get that deal done. 
But if not, the flight attendants are prepared to do whatever it is that they need to do. And if you look at a typical process, um, you could see you could actually see a strike deadline this summer if you walk through a normal process that the board would follow to move to that 30 day cooling off period and the strike deadline. So it, it could be as early as this summer that you'd be seeing strike activity if Frontier doesn't get busy here at the table and reach a deal like they did with the pilots. Now, I offered up equal time to Frontier Airlines to come onto the show, but they declined, basically saying, we look forward to working towards an agreement that is fair and sustainable. If you could talk to them right now, let's say here on the show, what one thing would you want to say to them? I'd say just put your money where your mouth is. And we're at the table right now. Uh, we, we again, think that we can get this deal done, done this week, um, but we've got a few no- more uh, very difficult issues uh, that they need to just get serious about at the table, and this can all be behind us. Let's shift the topic just slightly here. As Joseph and I have talked several times on the show about that recent policy change by Frontier that allows the flight attendants to collect their own tips now from customers. In the past, the tips were pooled and then shared, but now individuals can actually collect their own tips. Is this something that you see any benefit in? Well, we don't really see any benefit in the tipping program at all. No other airline does this. Um, It really undermines the position of flight attendants on the plane as safety professionals. Um, Tipping really has no place in a safety environment. But Frontier has been doing this for about three years. And and the change in policy is actually based on uh, concerns raised by the union that Frontier was not actually distributing all the tips that were due to the flight attendants and holding some of that back. And so this change in policy is really about creating more transparency so that flight attendants are actually getting what passengers are giving to them. And that is happening through the computer process. So uh, we weren't just, we didn't want to just take Frontier's word for it anymore. We found some money that had been held back and we said, you've got to have a more transparent process. If you're going to have this tipping program, then you have to make sure that gets to the flight attendants. But to be very clear, uh, as a general rule, we disagree with the tipping. We think that you need to just pay the flight attendants a fair wage for doing their safety work, and the tipping has no place in that environment. Is tipping part of the negotiations right now? Tipping is not uh, part of the negotiations. Uh, that is a company policy. Uh, we are saying you need to have a contract that pays people what they're due, pays them a living wage, respects the work that they do. And and tipping can be over and above. And if it's going to be there, we're going to make sure that you're transparent about it and people are getting what they're due. But no, we are not focusing on tipping at the table. This is about uh, base wages that are fair wages and competitive with the industry. I wanted to bring it back to something you mentioned in passing earlier, which was Frontier's negotiations with the pilots, which were happening at, at about the same time that you guys were at the table as well. Well, can you draw some sort of parallels between what the process you're going through now and the process that the pilots went through? Well, I think we were just a little bit behind in timing with the pilots, but the pilots were out there raising this issue and um, saying that uh, they were prepared to strike as well. They were prepared to do whatever was necessary to get Frontier to give them a contract that it was competitive with other airlines around uh, the industry who do the same kind of flying. And they were successful in that. And the flight attendants um, are saying, you know, we're willing to do the exact same thing and, and we're willing to do whatever it takes to get these contract negotiations done. I think that Frontier showed that they 
uh, got serious, when the pilots were very serious about making that clear to the public. And and we're doing the same. And, and we expect the same response from Frontier. We expect the same level of respect. And and again, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic this week, but they need to understand what's at stake if they, if they don't really uh, follow through. And I wanted to ask, do you think that there's any difference in the way Frontier approaches bargaining with the pilots union, which is, you know, a more traditionally male dominated field versus the flight attendants union, which would be more predominantly and traditionally a female dominated field. Uh, you know, we've seen that across the industry um, uh, it, through the years, um, a, a level of disrespect towards flight attendants, often uh, gender related. Um, we're really beating that back this year. And I, I think the whole country sees how, um, Seriously, they need to take flight attendants. We're serious about safety. We were serious about that during the government shutdown. And we mean business. And so uh, we're really seeing a change at the table in the way that uh, management's responding because with power comes respect and flight attendants are flexing their muscles and showing the power that they have. And we're seeing a change in the response from management across the board uh, based on our action. And you mentioned the frontier management. If it fails to reach a deal with you, uh, you with uh, along with hundreds of other flight attendants will be coming here to Denver next week. What do you hope to achieve if you all are demonstrating in downtown Denver next week? Well, I think we'll be calling on the rest of the public to say uh, Frontier needs to get busy. People don't want to have a disruption at work. They don't uh, need this to be interfering with their travel experience. And I think, you know, around the country, there's a lot of sympathy growing uh, for people who are fighting back and saying one job should be enough. Uh, you know, we need to pay people a fair wage for what they're doing. Uh, we've gone way backwards in this country and, and people across the board are ready to stand up and fight back. And there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of support for the teachers unions doing that everywhere. We're seeing that uh, all across the country and we're just going to be calling them out and um, talking about how. Uh, terrible, they're treating flight attendants who are aviation's first responders who save lives every single day and really should be able to go home and take care of their families based on that one job uh, at a full-time, not overtime, but at a full-time rate. Yeah, and you mentioned how the public was generally behind the teachers as they were striking, not only across the country, but here in Denver. What do you think the public reaction will be when they see you folks demonstrating, if you do, in downtown Denver next next week, are, are they generally uh, uh, with you or against you? Look, we have seen a great response from the public because the public understands that they're getting squeezed on these planes, too. Seats are closer together, tighter. Uh, the travel experience is segment, segmented. Uh, people are getting charged for uh, every little uh, item that they bring to the plane. And uh, the public understands that this is really about Wall Street squeezing both the flight attendants and the passengers. And oftentimes, uh, we find that the passengers are our biggest cheerleaders because they know that we work very hard to keep their travel environment <clears throat> safe and comfortable, and we do everything that we can to do that. And I think that they feel that they're in this with us a little bit because uh, they're getting squeezed right along with us. I, I think we're going to let you go after this one, but I, I would regret not asking you for one good story about a passenger that you'll never forget from a flight. <laughs> a good story? Oh, or a bad one. Your pick. Or a memorable story. A memorable story. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, well, um, you know, staffing is an issue across the board. And, and when we don't have the uh, ability to have enough flight attendants on the plane to really be looking at who's coming on our plane, sometimes that can be a big problem. And one time flying out of Las Vegas, uh, I had a guy come on who was about 300 pounds. And uh, everybody missed the fact that I think this guy was on a little something. And we got up in the air and he he was acting out so badly that I had to spend all my time telling the pilots what was going on because it was one thing after another going in the bathroom and smoking and then urinating everywhere, urinating on the back door, uh, doing a strip tease in the aisle with the rest of the passengers. Oh, yeah, it was a disaster. I was flying with two flight attendants who were on their very first trip of their careers. Uh, (laughs) And I had to go back and tell this guy, listen, I, I used my best teacher voice. I trained to be a teacher before a flight attendant. And I looked around and, and, and it, the other thing that happened was I had generally um, an aging population on the plane <laughs> who were all looked a little frail. And I'm like, all right, you know, I don't have any helpers here today. But I, I went back there and I told him, I said, listen, you need to sit down. You're going off this plane in handcuffs and you can decide whether it's Des Moines or Chicago where you want to go. Which one is it going to be? And he's like, I want to go to Chicago. I said, then you sit down and you shut up and you don't touch another person on this flight. And he did. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> so anyway, you know, flight attendants deal with a lot of crazy stuff out there, but we're really good at um, uh, mostly diffusing situ- the situation and keeping everybody in their in their place. If that flight was a casino, you were the big winner at the casino that day. <laughs> <laughs> and also I'm very scary at a negotiating table. <laughs> excellent work there, Sarah. Excellent work. So thank you again for uh, being here on the show. We really appreciate your time. We know you're busy with a conference right now and uh, and appreciate you spending the time with us and explaining everything that's going on with Frontier. We hope that a deal gets done, obviously, because we don't want to have our, our uh, plans here in the summer and going beyond that to be disrupted. So I know a lot of people otherwise in Denver feel the same way. All right. Thank you so much. Appreciate you alerting the public to this. And that was Sarah Nelson, president of the Association of Flight Attendants, CWA, uh, here on the show. By the way, I did reach out, as I said earlier, uh, to Frontier Airlines and extended them an invitation to be on the show. Uh, Jonathan Freed, he's the director of Frontier Airlines Corporate Communications, and he replied back to me. And he said, hi, Jason, appreciate you reaching out. We don't have anyone available for an interview, but here is a statement. We are engaged in negotiations with our flight attendants for a new contract and continue to exchange proposals under the guidance of the National Mediation Board. We look forward to working towards an agreement that is fair and sustainable. After I received that statement, I reached out to Jonathan again, but he declined to come on the show. So I gave them ample opportunities and gave them an open invitation if they wanted to come on and... uh, and say their side of the story. And for all we know, they'll change their mind, although these right. big corporations rarely do in these cases. Exactly. I, I, I figured that they weren't going to come on and they were going to give us a statement, and that's exactly what happened. Um, I, I really would have liked to talk to somebody from the airline, but I, I could see why they, they don't want to talk. I mean, you're, you're dealing with slight edges, if you will, or slight advantages, disadvantages, any kind of ne- contract negotiations, and they probably don't want to say anything that might be used against them in the negotiations on, on our show. I mean, we, we would love that. That'd be great for us. Yes, we would. Um, but all, it would not be great for them. We've always wanted to be deposed, Jason. That was my goal. <laughs> exactly. So anyway, it was nice to have uh, Sarah on the show here. And and uh, well, it was probably not the last we'll hear of it. And obviously, we'll probably hear from them 
maybe next week if the contracts uh, negotiations go south. So we'll see how that all happens. Well, back to the roads, Joseph. There's the traditional way to fix potholes where you fill them with asphalt. Correct. Then there's a non-traditional way to deal with potholes. You ignore them and slow traffic around them so drivers can dodge them better. That is what the National Park Service is deciding to do with the potholes they are dealing with on the Baltimore-Washington Parkway. Because they're presenting such a danger that they are now lowering the posted speed limit to 40 miles an hour down from 55 along one section that is particularly potholed. That's not really a word, but I'm going to use it in this context anyway. I think it's a word now. Potholes appear to have hit the Washington, D.C. area pretty hard this year with uh, the dramatic temperature swings that they've had, repeating freezing, thawing cycles. That's what really causes these things. And so a curious driver and even a more curiouser traffic guy like like you and me. Yes. uh, We would not just fix the potholes instead of lowering the speed limit on on a road. We would think that... um, you, you would just fix the pothole. Why, why, not, why not just go out there and, and, and fix the pothole? Well, as you're aware, that is expensive. Apparently so. I mean, it, it really connects major hubs like job hubs, um, like NASA's Space Flight Center, um, the National Security Agency, uh, Fort Meade. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, there's, there's what, like 125,000 cars a, a day that use that road. Right, and now they're going to have to dodge traffic cones and potholes and swerve in and out, and I can't wait to see it, man. I completely support this. I hope they take out the asphalt entirely, make it a dirt road. Well, the Park Service isn't that far behind. They own about 19 miles of the roadway from the district line down to Fort Meade, and they say they use more than 60 tons of asphalt to patch the potholes in February, and they're trying to work there as the weather allows, but the road has continued to deteriorate, and the agency says leaving... It really no choice but to lower the speed limit to make it safer for the drivers to get around the potholes because they constantly are hitting them. What the parkway really needs, the officials say, is a complete overhaul. I think a lot of roads around the country need a complete overhaul. But that's just it. They're so necessary now that how are you going to spend the time to do a complete overhaul? You really just need to shut the road down for three months, get all the work done at one time, and then reopen it. But where are people going to go in the meantime? Now, the National Park Service, they say they have a maintenance backlog of about $11.5 billion. Oh, okay. Half of which is related to transportation infrastructure. Because the Park Service does a lot of uh, not only just roads, but obviously the national parks and museums, you know, those sort of things. And, and they, they have a lot of visitors that come in there. And we all do pay a little bit, but I guess it's not enough to cover all the damage to the roads mm. that needs to be fixed. Now, the maintenance of the roads, the buildings, and other facilities across the park system, they say they've been postponing them for years because they have these budget constraints that don't allow them to, to make these infrastructure improvements. I, I say, why do we keep sending money overseas and not spend them on fixing are broken down buildings. Yes. You know? Agreed. Why, why, maybe we should fix us first, and then we can fix others second. It's like spending all the money that you have to fix up all your neighbor's homes and let your house just slowly just, you know, get, get worse and worse. Yes. I also think we should stop spending money on education. The hell with it. Why bother? Fix the parks. <laughs> that seems a little extreme. Here I am, folks. <laughs> <laughs> now, it, I, I would think... That would be a better idea for the Park Service just to maybe figure it out, fill some holes, and uh, not have to lower the speed limit and try to get people to dodge or dodge these potholes. 
you know, and, and keep their cars safe. Yeah, but the Park Service falls into that category of government agencies that would not be a successful business, right? Because what would their business model be? They're they're not able to charge for much of anything except park entry fees, and park entry fees are not going to cover an $11.5 billion backlog. And at some point, when you have the park fees too high, then people aren't going to go to the parks as often because the fees are too high. Right. So you talk about budgeting, and like budgeting should be a fairly basic thing, but in these situations, it becomes really difficult. And if I'm the Park Service, I, I think at a certain point, you have to start asking yourself how you're going to monetize these parks better. Is there some way that we can start to generate more revenue outside of just the park entry fees to try to cut into a little bit of this backlog? And many of the drivers there who use the road daily have said that they've never seen it so bad. They are pulling over with flat or damaged tires. Um, One driver actually tweeted jokingly that he saw a four-bedroom, two-bath pothole on the parkway available for rent. That must mean they're pretty bad. I thought Domino's was fixing potholes now. Can't oh, they see, take care of it? Right there. Maybe we can do that. You can have the Domino's Pothole Park Highway. There you go. See? That's problem solved. Mm-hmm. Just like, um, uh, oh, what's it? Something in the rabbit and the bunny? No, in the peg plus cat. Problem solved. <laughs> you have no idea what I'm talking no, about. No. Is that a child show? Yes, it certainly is. Okay. On PBS Kids. Uh, yeah, peg plus cat. It's all about math stuff. Love peg. And the cat doesn't have any ears. No, it has ears. It doesn't have a something like nose or something. Or Peg doesn't have an anyway. I have these cartoons. Cartoons. Anyway, I wanted to end the show today with a little ditty about Jack and Diane. Uh, No, just kidding. It's actually a ditty about Jack and Tara. Best pals, both 19, who live near London. They've been tying a few on at a club, and as drunk kids are apt to do, they got the munchies. So the pair headed for Gateway Airport to hunt down... Some food at the McDonald's. Apparently, the McDonald's there at the Gatewick Airport is the closest McDonald's and the closest place they could find food at that hour of the day. But instead of just getting some food, the pair woke up on a plane landing in Barcelona, Spain. There are worse ways to wake up. Yes, there are. There most certainly are. While drunk, Jack had impulsively decided to book a pair of tickets And the friends managed to board the jet, despite being so drunk they couldn't remember going through security. Tara, who studies psychology at Nottingham Trent University, claims she can't remember anything from the airport escapade and woke up during their descent into Spain. The pair spent four days in Barcelona, despite Tara having no cash or clothes, other than the outfit that she had been wearing the night out. So she wore the same clothes for four straight days in Barcelona. If they don't get married, it's going to be real disappointing. But you know, with this Instagram generation, they'll be broken up in six months. Jack said as soon as they saw the planes at the airport, they decided to check out Skyscanner. Uh, Skyscanner, if you don't know, it's a um, like a last-minute flight app that you can buy tickets last minute, and apparently they did. Jack remembers booking the flights, but he says he can't remember, remember anything after that. He says, quote, When I woke up on the flight, I had no idea where I was. My initial thought, I had died and I was on my way to heaven. (laughs) I didn't know. I didn't know there was a, I thought it was a stairway to heaven and a highway to hell. Didn't he wake up during the descent? He he thought he was on his way to heaven while he was descending back to earth? Yeah, I I don't know. That's a good point because I didn't know there was an airplane to heaven. Then Tara said, after asking Jack multiple times where they were, they finally remembered where they were going, and they were going to Barcelona. Tara said, I, I, oh, my G-O-D, what have I done? And eventually just laughed it off. 
They started. They stayed in a hostel. I guess it's easy to stay in a hostel last minute. I've never True. stayed in a hostel. Don't think I would ever want to stay in a hostel. It seems sketchy, but there's one right down the street from my place, and all the people there seem very happy. So what can I say? Uh, they did say they spent the four nights spending most of the time at the beach and going out drinking every night. No. <laughs> really? <laughs> Two 19-year-old drunks drinking all day in Barcelona? Man. Tara said, all in all, we had a good holiday. Although I'm hoping that this doesn't happen again, my mom has con- confiscated my passport. Ugh, bummer. Look, I think these two have a wee bit of a drinking problem. No. No, they are 19 years old, man. They, are, they can do whatever they want. As a father, all I can do is shake my head. 19? I mean, obviously, the, uh, the mom should have intervened, I don't know, earlier in life to maybe get Tara and her buddy Jack to uh, be on a uh, better path it than the one they're on now. How is any of this Tara's fault? Tara didn't book the flight. But Jack, Tara was hanging out with Jack and getting hammered at 19 years old. Jack said, I've got a flight. Tara, come with me. And Tara said, all right, sure. This is, all, this is completely Jack's doing. And honestly... So I'm, you think it's all Jack's fault? At least Jack didn't try to drive to Barcelona. That would, that would have been more tricky. Right. That would have been way more tricky. This was much safer. This it was is, a safer you're right. alternative. It was a much safer alternative. And I guess if they have the time, yeah. I mean they're college kids. I don't know. I don't know if Jack's going to university anywhere. It's the money that bothers me. That this kid's got to be filthy rich to be booking a trip to Barcelona on a whim to impress a girl while he's wasted at nineteen, or he's just putting everything on credit cards, just like everybody else that's young does now. Anyway, and it's, I mean, add it's, it just add it to the student loan debt. How much do you think that costs, though? I mean, what's the equivalent over on this side of the? Oh, uh, let's say last minute flight. I don't know, going to Barcelona, it would be, what, maybe like flying from here to Los Angeles, right? Something okay. like that? So not that So maybe bad. a couple hundred bucks? Okay. Let's say it was 500 Let's say it was $1,000 overall for the flights, for the hostel, for the drinks every four nights. Oh, I forgot they were in a hostel, too. Yeah, yeah man, that's totally worth it. 1000 bucks for yeah. the four-day getaway? Yeah. Last minute? She's never going to forget him. Doesn't matter how many husbands she has down the line, she is never going to forget him, and probably the same for him for, for, about her. By the way, at this point, is it even worth it to go to college anymore? I mean, when you have to pay as much as it, uh, it basically, you're getting loans for jobs that won't pay you enough to... It, if you're not doing it right, yeah, it doesn't make much sense. Like, that's, that's really my counter to all those questions. I mean, if you're going to college to get a history degree, no, you're probably not doing it right. What career are you going to get after that? Are you going to be a teacher? That's not going to pay you enough to cover your student loans. Not if you're going to a college that's out of state. But if you're doing it the right way, if you're going to college for engineering pretty much anywhere, yeah, that's going to make enough money to pay you back. Yeah, yeah you probably should do that. I have plenty of doctor and lawyer friends who will tell you, yes, college was 100% worth it. I wouldn't trade it for anything. I would, I would actually think that trade schools should be uh, making a comeback because there, there's a lot of good trade school jobs that you can get. Uh, and, and and you don't have the crazy loans. Well, and people don't appro- approach college with a trade school mentality, right? Like at the end of the day, if you're going to college, you're still doing it to learn a trade. You right, know, you should be. exactly. And so if you're not approaching it with that mentality, you're like, well, I'm going to get a degree. It's like, well, a degree's not a job. Like a trade gets you a job. A degree gets you a piece of paper and, I don't know, like priority if you are applying for jobs as a bartender somewhere. Look, look where this $10,000 a year or this – $10,000 education got me. Exactly. Got me right here. Lots of helicopter rides. Lots and lots of helicopter rides for me for $10,000 of my education. I think that's what it was. I don't know. I did have some loans and some grants and all the rest. So 
But it's all paid off long time ago. Boy, that was pretty nice, too. Anyway, so that was a quite the bad tangent here on the Driving You Crazy podcast. Anyway, uh, thanks again to uh, Sarah Nelson for joining us on the show, of course. It's an open invitation to Frontier if they want to join us on the show and give their side of the story, um, of course, anytime. Anybody wants to join us here on the show, just send me a line on Twitter, and, and maybe we'll just call you up and have you on. Anybody. Just about anybody. Yeah, why not? Seriously, anybody. Anybody. If you want to be, just send me a, at Denver 7 Traffic, send me a note. I want to be on the Driving You Crazy podcast podcast uh and then uh, i'll send me an email or whatever send me a note and then we'll have you on the show i think that's an open invitation to everybody what do you think yes okay good. uh thanks again for being here thanks again for listening to the show and until next time i will be a healthier jason luber traffic guy i am student loan enthusiast joseph peter be safe and as always happy motoring <laughs>